This is Blake from Screen Brum. I think they're on to me. Keep listening and await instructions. This is the Scream Brum Show here on Brum Radio. This is Blake Woodham calling. Blake Woodham calling. I'm joined here in the studio by, I think, Tim Wilson. Or is it Tim Wilson? Are you feeling okay, Blake? I'm feeling paranoid. That's what I'm feeling. I'm feeling paranoid today. You have every reason to feel paranoid today. Mm. You're being watched <laughs> by am. three people in a room. <laughs> three people. We're all watching and looking at you strangely. There's a lot of screens around. Um, why am I paranoid? Because today it's our Paranoid Conspiracy Special. We are joined in the studio by our very special guest, Joseph Oldham. Hello, Joseph. Hello, Blake. Um, should I refer to you as Joseph Oldham? We want to use a pseudonym for the purposes of this. Oh, Mr. Goodness. X. Oh, oh, no, no. Deep Throat is in the studio. Maybe. With okay. A, um, <laughs> His Twitter handle is good for that. What's that? Twitter I, handle. I am Paranoid Stylist on, on Twitter. Paranoid Stylist. So if you want to follow Joseph. Now, Joseph, you are a doctor of, yes. of paranoia. Is that right? C- kind of. What's um, <laughs> why, 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 are you a, why are you an expert here? Uh, okay, well, um, I did a uh, PhD in film and television at the University of Warwick, where mm-hmm. I did a thesis on various spy and conspiracy dramas on British television from the 60s to the present. Um, I have adapted that into the book Paranoid Visions, Spies, Conspiracies, and the Secret State in British Television Drama, um, available from Manchester University Press. And I currently work as um, a teaching fellow at the University of Hull, um, where I'm in the American Studies Department. Um, I am My main responsibility this term is teaching the Cold War Culture Module, and next term I will be teaching the Paranoid Style Module. Wow. That is incredible. That is cool. cool. That is I like that. Yeah. yeah. I, I wish I was back at university so I could study Paranoid Style. You know it's going to mm. get a good take-up, oh, or else. Yeah, mm. it sounds fantastic. Um, so you, you obviously mentioned there your area of interest is... Um, paranoid conspiracy dramas of the well the 60s to the present day in britain yes um we're going to be interested we're going to be talking through those and you're going to be giving us some of the kind of key landmark ones to look out mm. for um we would like to be uh, to, to hear from you the audience so you can tweet us at screen brum or email us info at screenbrum.co.uk Tim looks approving, I get that one right and we are of course not just the three of us here in the studio, we are joined by our our producer Lucy, hello Lucy Good morning, no good afternoon Good afternoon Um, Are you you a paranoid person? Do you think think they're all out to get you? Always That's not a new thing That's um, not specific to this show That's just how I live my life I did. I did see some interesting thing on uh, a little meme on Twitter the other day, which just sort of said, con- "Paranoid conspiracy in the seventies was people going, they're listening devices, and um, in the in the in the current era is uh, a listening device. Please order me some more food because we, we have we happily put these recordings <laughs> in. So yeah, we're all we're all you know. Have we, have we just get rid of the paranoia? Um, before we before we get into it, um, Joseph, I want to ask you one thing. Paranoid. 
is the definition here. Um, what do we mean by this? Because obviously, I think it was Henry Kissinger who said, "Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out for you." But does you know? Does is there something specific in in this genre that we're talking about here about paranoia? Is there something that that maybe singles it out from other spy drama? Do you think? Oh goodness! Okay, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I've dropped That's you. That's complex. That um, well, it, I guess it depends which kind of tradition we're talking about. Mm. Um, I mean, what I wrote my book about was um, I've sort of done outright conspiracy drama and sort of more paranoid ends of the spy genre. Mm. Um, so things from that kind of John le Carre, Len Dayton tradition, where where there's there's that bit of much more kind of betrayal and cynicism and bleakness and so on. Um, um, hmm, I don't quite Let, let's, <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah. let's leave the complicated <laughs> epistemological <laughs> questions for later. Mm. Um, let's, uh, let's, uh, as I say, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your, your favorite paranoid conspiracy, not your favorite paranoid conspiracy theories. We're not in, we're not going to be uh, in the business of, of getting into all that side of things, but um, we're going to go down that rabbit Make hole. Make for great tweets, though. Make for great tweets. Do not, yes, do not say that the moon landings were faked. Um, although, there are some people that say that O.J. Simpson, I read somewhere that O.J. Simpson appeared in the film Capcom 1, um, which, if you may know, is about a faked landing on Mars. Yeah. Um and um there were there was a conspiracy theory that suggested that he was um framed because of his role in that film exposing the faking of the moon landings. That's very meta. Mm, it is. <laughs> I know. So one would wonder why they, they waited possibly 20 years or something after he made the film to to silence him. But, um, but yes, Capricorn 1 has been mentioned already on Twitter by someone as a great conspiracy. It's a great uh, conspiracy theory film. Um, and um, we want to hear more. So we're going to play a little bit more music. Now, we started off there, um, speaking of getting meta, um, Joseph, we started off there with the theme tune for Secret Agent Man. So the theme tune, Secret Agent Man, and that is from the the TV series Danger Man. Danger Man, yes, that's right, starring Patrick McGowan. Um, in America, it yes. was called Secret Agent Man, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, in America, the series was called Secret Agent and had that tune, but that in Britain, tune. it was Danger Man. It was yeah. Danger Man and had a different tune. Mm. Now, you may have noticed that tune was an absolute banger. Um, what the great thing is is that the alternative, a British theme tune, is also an absolute banger. So. Let's have a listen to that now, and then we'll hear back from Joseph shortly. Oh, isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? That is the theme from Danger Man, um, which is, we've played two tracks and they've both been the theme from Danger Man, so that is very cool. So we're here, it's Brum Radio, it's Scream Brum, and we're talking about paranoid conspiracies with our, uh, sorry, Paranoid Conspiracy TV, I keep stressing that, I don't want the tinfoil hats to get fully out, um, (laughs) with our guest, uh, Joseph Oldham. Um, Joseph, obviously loads and loads of films and TV, well, Mm. TVs, particularly in this area. You wanted to start off with particular one that not many, maybe not people haven't heard i certainly hadn't i hadn't heard of it before you mentioned it it's talon yes which i rave about on twitter all the time so tell us mm. a bit about this uh okay so Callan. um um yeah this is one of my favorites i only discovered it a few years ago 
or I kind of heard of it, but I only kind of started watching it a few years ago. Um, and this is from the late 60s, early 70s. Um, so it kind of starts off um, in the same era as Danger Man. Um, and it's that time when you've just got lots of kind of fun spy shows like The Avengers and The Man from Uncle and so on. Um, and Callan just shows up and it's it's just so much kind of darker and more sinister than those. Um, mm. It's, it's I, I would say, one of the earliest um, TV spy shows to kind of really respond to um, what novelists like John McCarry and then Dayton um, had been doing. So you had um, The Spy Who Came In From The Cold in 63, which is just like the biggest selling and most critically acclaimed spy novel of the decade and sort of introduces this kind of much darker, bleaker, more paranoid vision of British spy fiction that it takes a little while to kind of filter through to television. Um, and Callan, um, it's... So it stars Edward Woodward um, in his breakout role as um, the as David Callan, um, an assassin for the British state um, who um, works for this sort of mysterious kind of government department known only as the Section, um, and they constantly sort of manipulate and trick him into doing all their dirty work for for them. Um, and it's got all this kind of fantastic stuff from the era about class. So Callan's quite this sort of put-upon, sort of working-class guy who's constantly being kind of um, manipulated and, and exploited by all these kind of sneering, sort of privileged establishment types who are kind of his bosses. And there's this there's this brilliant supporting character called Toby Mears, who's kind of like his rival, who's who sort of went to public school and kind of sneers and looks down at him. So it's got all this kind of this wonderful stuff about the kind of British class system, which you sort of rarely see in, in the spy genre before or since, really. It's, mm. I, I've never quite seen it done as well as in Coward. I mean, like, I, mm. it, the, the only other example I can think of that brings to mind is kind of Harry Palmer in The Ipcrest File, which is yes. very much that type of thing. But again, not TV, it's cinema. Very, very indebted to those mm. films, I think. Yeah. Why don't um, we have a clip from it? Absolutely. Um, so this is this is from the first episode, isn't it? Where Callan well, is getting pulled pulled back in. Well, yeah. There's a there's a kind of standalone play um, that was on a few months before, and then this is the first episode of the series proper. So this is sort of reintroducing the format that had been in the one-off special earlier. Okay. Um, we'll have a listen, and we'll come back to you shortly. Oops. Not while I'm playing. <laughs> uh, not while I'm playing David Barry in the background. We won't. Let's try that again. Sorry, everyone. What's the section for, Kellen? Eliminating people, framing, extortion, death. All the jobs that are too dirty for Her Majesty's our security forces to touch. Precisely. You were my best man. I want you for this. You sat me, remember? You said I was too soft. Well, I'm still soft, Hunter. I still worry about the people I killed. I'm done with you, mate. I'm finished. Nobody's ever finished with me, Callan. You're a killer. That's all you know. After all, what can you chaps do when you leave me? Uh, your talents are so specialised. You use a gun, use your fists, open locks. Unskilled labour. Get yourself another labourer. I want you for just this one job, Kellen. I'm not asking to rejoin the section. After this, you can do as you like. Not even a killing. Goodbye, Hunter. I think you better have a look at your file, Kellen. Red cover. Most urgent, marked for death. You remember my filing system. You must be bluffing. No. You'll do this for me or I'll have you destroyed. And I mean it. Wow, that sounds very cynical and dark. Mm. It's uh, it's not yeah it's not, it's not the James Bond that we 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 saw in the sixties is it? No, not at all. <laughs> uh, and how long did it run for? 
Um, the original run was um, four series from um, 67 to 62. Then they did a film in 64 and a comeback special in 81. Well, that's a confusion. Yeah, I seem to remember that the, the comeback special. Was it? Was that a film? Uh, a sort one of TV, yeah. one-off TV thing. And uh, obviously Edward Woodward came back as a hard-bitten um, vigilante mm. in The Equaliser. Yes. And, and a former secret agent. Although he's always he always said that there was no... There's no correspondence between the two characters. They just look the same. Reality, they just yeah. happen to be. <laughs> I think there's just there's just a kind of fan theory that it might be the same guy having uh, changed his identity, but <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's not official. Uh, and obviously, you mentioned there that um, the sort of dealing with the kind of class issues and mm. so forth. This idea of these types of programs being kind of a sort of social commentary. Yeah, did that kind of begin with this? Was, was it? Was there much of that before? Um, I don't think there really is much of it before. Um, I think it's because um, this. I mean, if you look at, if you watch this, it's it's quite. It's a relatively kind of modest affair compared to a lot of spy shows at the time. It's shot on videotape and it's mostly in the studio, um, and it's not made for the export market. Unlike a lot of the kind of really famous shows from the time, like Danger Man and The Avengers and stuff, were kind of made to be kind of sold around the world. So they basically, you tend to get them kind of smoothing out the class issues. You either get kind of old-fashioned gentleman heroes, like with John Steed and The Avengers, or you get these very kind of modern, classless, meritocratic people like John Drake, or, or the kind of Connery Bond in a way. Um, so it's it's kind of a mark of the more paranoid um, version that they kind of go into that and actually kind of delve into this sort of idea of... Um, you've kind of, what I find kind of fascinating is, uh, and I think it's something true with the Len Dayton books and their film adaptations with Cameron, you're almost kind of drawing upon two currents from like a decade earlier. One, you've got um, the kind of um, the press commentary and um, sort of um, satire of the time that sort of makes fun of the establishment. Um, you get people start talking about kind of the establishment all the kind of old school tie public school network um sort of running society and, uh, and making a mess of society is something that really kind of comes to the fore in the 1950s and you also have kind of the new wave of um kitchen sink realism you get all the kind of films like look back in anger and saturday night and sunday morning so so you get a, a an increased kind of diversity of um sort of accents and class positions in uh, in popular culture and it's it's like you get this what happens kind of over the course of the 60s is you get this kind of very negative, um, very cynical kind of backlash against heroic spy fiction. It's like they kind of pull on these um, different kind of threads of kind of class exploration, push them together. Do you think Harry Palmer was a kickback against that as well? That deliberate oh, portrayal of Michael Caine and someone yeah. it was you know the 60s was the first time that people with accents started coming through into yeah. the floor you know? he's like the and and the whole the everything whole. about that the aesthetic everything is is the anti-james bond it is mm. yes it is it was it's certainly one of my one of my I mean, we, we, we were picking our own top fives and i think i'll jump in with it here because it is one of mine it's directed by sydney fury in 1965 and i always think of it mm. when i think of it i think of it as later than that i think of it as kind of up with the beatles and the summer of love and all that but it's actually a little bit before yeah. but it has that lovely um kind of grimy kind of just the, i mean in the way that that michael kane seems to embody the anti-60s in, in so many you know you think about this you think about alfie and you think about uh, get carter and all of those things he just really sort of pricks the the sort of british establishment or the kind of mm. current um social mores perfectly um this sounds very pretentious i'm sorry um but yeah i mean it's just the best spy film um and also i think the sequel funeral in berlin is 
is brilliant as well, mm. possibly even better. But it's it's not quite the same kind of paranoid conspiracy kind of thing that we have with um, with funeral. Imp- uh, sorry, with um, Ipcris file. But always the thing I love about Ari Palmer's character is it's the normal things he does. Mm. It's the it's the kind of normal life that he leads. It's when he comes out of it and he goes shopping. Yeah, and the, and the scenes where he's <laughs> cooking, and the kind of the normality of that is very uh, little it, fact about the cooking absolutely. scene. Yeah. is that was um, the there's a scene there where he makes an omelet, um, which you know which is quite weird because he's a man, um, and um, you see him breaking two eggs at once yeah. um, with his hand. That was that hand was apparently Len Dayton, the writer, who um, broke the eggs himself because you know he could because he was big, uh, um, and he had his own. Uh, I think he had his own uh, radio. Sorry. Um, newspaper cooking column like cooking for men and the picture of it he's holding a machine gun just so that you know how manly cooking for men is none of this kind of you know souffle nonsense i think probably is a souffle i don't know Mm. but yeah he's great he's brilliant in it and it's yeah and and again similar to callan i guess he's just he's he's not he's not in it for the love of country or or Mm. any kind of high-minded ideals he's just trapped in this role isn't he yeah they're they're very similar characters in lots of ways though i i kind of think kane gives harry palm a certain kind of lightness a certain he's he's kind of a bit more kind of cheeky and answer back answers back and stuff whereas callum i think is much more kind of beaten down he doesn't even have the kind of michael kane cool factor uh-huh. <laughs> yeah is it, and um it's that thing the other thing about the kicking back against cool spies mm. is that they there's a reluct there isn't a kind of a, a, a an immediate immediacy to kill there's almost yeah. a reluctance to kill mm. on behalf of these characters especially Callan's character yes what I mean, he has to be has told to do and what he has to give and but he's explicitly uh, he is explicitly kind of an assassin it's they it's get this wonderful assassin, kind of but <laughs> they get this wonderful yeah. kind of tension out of the fact that he hates doing it but it's the it's what he's good at it's kind of from his sort of previous army career and he can't sort of adjust to society in any other way than doing this terrible job exactly yeah I, it's it, it it was interesting, actually. Um, I was, you know, a kid growing up in the nineties, and we didn't have a great deal of great TV in the late nineties. I would say, mm. or kicked off in that post nine eleven scenario. And we'll talk about something of that era, mm. a couple of things that era in a bit. But I was thinking of the of the uh, of the pretty terrible TV series La Femme Nikita, which clearly, ah. uh, um, which actually, if you know the last series of La Femme Nikita, I guess who comes in as head of section at the end of it, you find out that La Femme Nikita's dad is Edward Woodward, mm. ah. who's head of section, who comes in at the end of the season just to add some, add, add a name to the to the series. Yeah. It's truly terrible. But, um, <laughs> but the, they clearly, you know, we'll talk about the influence of Callum, but clearly there's a kind of thing which is around this reluctance. The reluct- you are an assassin, but you don't, agree with what the like system any. is doing which is a classic paranoid conspiracy yeah. angle that then gets reciprocated from Callum uh, and, and other series. And I think the other thing that, that that comes through a lot of these is that whole class resonance that you talk about there the idea that the establishment are the puppet masters that are making the rest of us dance to their tune and yeah. serve their interests regardless of whether it's against our own and Le Carrier does that so well as well mm. so many different things I mean obviously I'm going completely off to a, a wild wacky tangent there because the whole thing about Nikita was, it was a French film about a punk who ends up becoming trained as an assassin and he's very French you know and it's all it's all wrapped the original film is really you know, has all that Besson chic and uh, yeah it's an exercise in style Okay, so so, so we're not we're not necessarily re- recommending the femme Nikita, no. but we are recommending. <laughs> Sorry, I only did that to put the Edward Woodward thing in. <laughs> that was all. Uh, and it, yeah, and didn't he come back? Because um, Edward Woodward also uh, isn't he play security guard or something in um, Hot Fuzz, 
where uh, he, he is in that. I've forgotten what his role is. Yeah, he's I've like a, I think he's like ma- the person that mans the CCTV. So many right, good okay. characters in that yeah. film. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, anyway, so uh, if you are. Um, uh, you know, if you're a fan of Callan, let us know. Or the Ipcrest file, which is my... I'm, I'm jumping in there with one of my top five um, paranoid conspiracies. So this is Michael Caine getting his brain washed. Discuss. Um, and uh, it's brilliant. It's a really technically interesting film as well, um, the Ipcrest file. Um, you know, from, they've got some interesting use of, of, te- of visual technology, I believe. Otto Heller, the... The, the, photographer, the cinematographer was using some kind of special device so they could put things in the foreground and the background mm. simultaneously. So it looks very different. Um, anyway, we're going to play a little bit more music and then we'll be back with more paranoia. Hello everyone, you're cordially invited to the Screen Brum Christmas Party on Friday the 21st of December from 12 till 2pm. You can join us by listening to us here on Brum Radio as we play party music and chat about Christmas movies. Or why not come along in person to the Warehouse Cafe in Digbeth, Birmingham and say hello. You might even get a mince pie. Happy Christmas! Guess who's got a new software package um, with uh, with some sound editing? He's very proud of his software package. Fiddling around with uh, with sleigh bells. So yes, you are invited to the Screen Brum Christmas party. You're listening to the Screen Brum Show here on Brum Radio. We're talking conspiracy theories. Um, We're we're joined in the studio by Tim Wilson, Lucy. Hello, Lucy Beth. Hello. Lucy Beth, we're just making sure that Lucy's mum, who's listening, is aware. Apparently. Uh, hello, Lucy's mum. This is Lucy. Say something to show that we're not we're not uh, holding you hostage. No, I'm quite safe. Okay, good. Uh, we're really not holding her hostage. <laughs> God, now, now everyone's feeling paranoid. This has got a dark turn. Sorry, everyone. Um, uh, um, and thank you for your tweets. We've had some, some tweets already uh, and some questions. Is that right, Tim? Yes. Um, uh, Thomas... Thomas Cavanna, or at TD Cavanna, hello Thomas, has uh, asked, or he's made a point, um, he said, and there's a point I was going to make actually about how a lot of conspiracy theories all contain an element of paranoia, it's mm. kind of in their makeup, um, even if it's look over the shoulder stuff. Um, he has also said that the machini- machinist, is that how you pronounce it? Machinist. Yes. Machinist could argue its way in on a on subgenre, he says here. Mm-hmm. Um, and Feathers and Wings has. Uh, as, as always, hello, Feathers and Wings, has uh, come in with a London spy on the BBC as one of their favourites. Mm, no, that that's one with... Fun. London spy was good fun. Yeah, I haven't yeah, seen yeah. that. It's Ben Wishaw, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Good. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the plot. Is, is, is it a Len Dayton one as well? I'm imagining that. Oh, no, no. Uh, Didn't was, he have... London something, oh, yeah, London the, rules, or something. London I can't match. Remember. I think it was. Um, that's right. Pop, yeah, game set it's match. It's an elaborate kind of trilogy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, we're a big fan of. I'm a big fan of Len Dayton anyway, mm. um, who wrote uh, the Upper Crystal, amongst other things. Um, so, sorry, we, uh, do. we also uh, we also have a poll up on uh, on Twitter today, mm-hmm. and today's Twitter poll is: Are they out to get Blake? And I've given out. <laughs> uh, I've got a series of responses that you can respond to 
yes and no are just two of them. So please mm. contribute. The, uh, the poll will up, be up for 24 hours. Thank you. Okay. Um, I sincerely hope that they're not out to get me. Um, but you don't know. Are they out to get Blake? Please contribute. Um, so um, we are, we're talking paranoid conspiracies with uh, Joseph. I'm, I'm not going to sleep tonight at the end of all this. Um, Joseph, you wanted to, to move on. We've talked about Callan. Um, what would you like to, to talk about next as a kind of uh, a TV series for people to look out for? Well, next I would like to talk about um, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Yay! <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> Quite specifically, the BBC um, seven-part adaptation from 1979. And the, did they make... They made three, didn't they? Did they make... So they, they made the sequel, didn't they, as well, they, the BBC? The, well, they did Smiley's People with much of the same cast yeah. two, three years later. Um, they've done. They've adapted various other Lacaries over the years, but not not sort of as part of the same oh, okay. sequence. Um, and also a film version as well. Yes, with Gary Oldman, which is very good. I thought I've brought my white chalk with me, <laughs> but it's not the same as the TV. So why should we play a little clip? Get people in the mood. Yeah. So let's play. A, there's a short clip where the conspiracy is becoming exposed. You're officially absent without leave on the wanted list. I think I'm safe now. I've got a story to tell you. It's all about spies. And if it's true, which I think it is, you boys are going to need a whole new organisation. Right? Shall I start with the day you sent me to Lisbon? Changed my life. You might find it's going to change all your lives. Oh, that is brilliant. That was Hugh mm. Bennett there beginning to expose a, uh, uh, a conspiracy. So, Joseph, why is this such a such a key series for us? Um, I think it's, it's very influential in how um, the genre develops on television. I mean, obviously, it's a very kind of highly regarded story, highly regarded novel generally. Um, but it's... Um, so I've talked about how they were kind of like fun spy shows like Danger Man and so on, and then there's the kind of dark, cynical side like Callan. But it still um, tends to be these kind of stories about characters going out and sort of solving a case every week and kind of hinges on that. And Ticket Taylor's where we really start to see a slide towards these... Um, on television, it's where we get these kind of multi-part serials where you have this incredibly fiendish, devilly, devilishly complicated story unfolding over multiple episodes. It's kind of one of the pioneers of that, so it kind of leads on to more recent things like um, London Spy. Um, it's it's also just really good. Um, <laughs> it's it's hard to describe it. Alec Guinness is, yeah. is, <laughs> is Alec Guinness mm. is just is just unbelievable in that role. He just absolutely inhabits. Mm. You know, in, 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 George Smiley has appeared time and again in stuff, but you know, you say the name and it just Alec Guinness's face just comes out. It's just so good. I mean, because I, I first found Tinkertator by reading um, my dad's old paperback copy which had uh, um, Alec Guinness on the cover so even before I'd seen it it was just just his image I associated with it it's, it is fantastic and mm. and again the, on the conspiracy side the thing that that has front and centre which is very central to a lot of this stuff is the mole the concept of yes. the mole and mm. the double agent that's just such a classic kind of trope isn't mm. it in all of this yeah. stuff absolutely um, and uh, yeah so the, the story there is obviously uh, George Smiley, who we never doubt for a second, uh, is hunting a spy within the circus, which is yeah. the British intelligence. And he has come back recently. Uh, John Le Carrier's last recent novel um, yes. stars um, a, a vaguely aged 
um, George Smiley because you would imagine like a hundred. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah they've, they've, I think he's been slightly, uh, slightly vague around that, but fantastic. So um, yeah, and then this has been hugely influential mm, as a yeah, series. Absolutely. What's the um, you know what? What do you think someone should should look out for watching this? Well, why should someone watch it now? Because it mm. compared to say Homeland, mm. where which has a lot of owes a lot of debt to yeah. sort of Homeland's a lot of debt to it. It's it's relatively slow moving. It's mm. again it's quite grimy, isn't it? There's, yeah. there's some wonderful sequence in it, as I recall, of George Smiley just having dinner kind of by himself mm. in some restaurant. Everything just seems quite kind of lonely. It's very romantic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone's a bit everyone needs um everyone it's classic seventies in the sense that you feel that like everyone needs a bath. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's a bit grubby. Yeah. It's like you kind know, of real kind of because because yeah. they I mean recently they've had a the new Le Carrie adaptation on the the little drummer girl. Mm. If anyone's seen that. That they've set that one in I think in seventy nine. Yeah. Um and it's sort of like 2018's nineteen seventy nine. It is which sort um, of which yeah. is quite They've got the fashions and everything. It looks nice, but it's so it's so sort of clean and nice in a way. It's sort of yeah. a very stylish seventies. Whereas I, Although I, kind of I feel love... that Florence Pugh does get 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 quite grubby and dirty in it, and uh, she yeah. gets down with it. And, and actually, mm. I will talk about that in a moment. Yeah. Uh, what, what I love is just how unromantic it is, how slow it is, yeah, how absolutely. how real it feels. Mm. The procedural. That's the thing I always love about these films. It's the just the way things. Ha- you learn a lot about the art of. Le Carre spies. Yeah. Yeah. You learn about the worlds in which they inhabit and how there's a lot of talking and a lot of second guessing. And smoking. And smoking. Mm. And jargon. All this yeah. kind of yeah. like special language. Yeah, well, he invented some of that, didn't he? I think the, the, the tradecraft is, is used now yeah. to describe yeah. kind of spy stuff like dead drops and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think he invented that. I don't think it was a kind of. Now it's a kind of mm. sort of standard language for spy behaviour but I think it was rules there are rules yeah everyone has different rules and and, and uh, Mole he's generally held to have not necessarily invented but certainly popularised that and that's uh now just like such a standard feature of of the genre and And it's interesting in the the kind of pre in you know 20 years even still 20 years before the internet really Mm. took a hold so you're living in a world where this stuff still go this is where things come you know a TV series where things come out to the front a little bit but then after the carry, you know, spies stay spies again. The carry just brings them out into the open a little bit and gives you some intrigue into the world in which they live. And it's quite disturbing. Mm. Yeah. It's quite, it's actually quite frightening how I'd, normal everyone is. I'd strongly yeah. recommend uh, his autobiography, uh, or it's kind of a, a memoir of his time in uh, the intelligence services that John Le Carrier wrote a few years ago. Um, some really interesting stuff about his time in Berlin. You know, he was a. Uh, mm. Yeah, you know, cultural attaché or something in Berlin, and um, yeah, and like you say, this—it's just this again, this this thing which this paranoid conspiracy type of thing does again and again and again brings home this idea that both sides are, you know, there's no goodies and baddies here. Mm. It's it's all murky and shades of grey, and there's no heroism. It's all pretty seedy. Ideology doesn't really come into it, does it? In this, in this, am I wrong? You know, it doesn't seem to be. Apart from with Carla, who is the, who is his kind of um, opposite number in the KGB, isn't it? it seems yes. to be a kind of ideologue. Um, and I think definitely the all his identity, I will not reveal, um, is definitely sort of quite a sinister figure when revealed. Mm. Um, I think it's not. I think there is a certain sense. Um, I feel like Tinker Taylor sort of, you know, is ultimately very much a kind of, um, it does kind of favour a Western perspective. But I think it's it's more a constant sense of doubt. Um, 
It's maybe not that the East and West are equivalent, but maybe a sort of fear that they could become equivalent mm. is maybe that, that's the sort of potential there. That's what potentially comes out of this sort of reducing the conduct of the Cold War to this um, purely kind of technocratic thing. Um, yeah, this idea of it as a sort of a transactional kind of mm. game, isn't it? And, yeah. and a game played by posh old white men yeah. in in their clubs. Um, and as you as you saw in that heard in that clip earlier on, Hugh Bennett is one of the kind of you know the working class guys that they get in as muscle. Yeah, and those guys are are regarded as pretty contemptible. <laughs> yeah. It seems by the by it's, the spies. It's very interesting because. A lot of Le Carre's stuff is it's sort of the same thing as kind of Dayton and Cowan we've talked about, but sort of viewed from the perspective more of the establishment because because mm. kind of Le Carre is more of that sort of privileged background um, than than people like Dayton. So in a sense, even though he might be critiquing it to a large degree, he still he still got that more of more of the kind of um, privileged establishment perspective. Yeah. And, and the Hugh Bennett characters are the sort of walk-ons. That's right. He's a sort of the the, the kind of uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of Callan. There you are. That's, that's the highest brow comment I'm going to make today. I'm going to keep it, <laughs> keep it out after that. Yeah. I think it, it would be very, very interesting to get people who are used to the modern production standards and the modern way of people's people watch things to actually watch this and see how they get on with it because a lot of viewers have not gone on with little drummer girl at all because it's slow paced because it's they're trying to evoke those classic Mm. the classic nature of le carry late 70s even though as you say it is a 2018 look back at 1979 um and i i I feel that you know the thing that's so 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 important here is just the way that alec guinness evokes the character through very very little it's like mm. incremental incremental things you begin to un- uncover the his ter- you know the, the, his background and the things the terrible things that have happened in his life a lot again it's through the eyes and through mm. the the little things that he says uh, and then the other thing i just think about is how darn amazing the cast is mm. yeah. you all know, you know you, if you you know as as a who's who of the great Middle-aged men who can play. Who can play yeah. Their last stand. Have, you know, this is. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I watched this after I watched House of Cards. So when Ian Richardson turns up, mm. you know, I, I'm immediately thinking of his Francis Urquhart. And then he's a he's slightly, you know, it's slightly different. And everyone, you know, you got Bernard Hepton, Ian Richardson, Ian Bannum, uh, Michael Aldridge. I mean, it's like this is like a who's who of the great mm. yeah. actors who can, you know, look look slightly balding and wear suits and be very sinister. You mm. know, it's, wow. Yeah. I think ba- basically what happened is like they managed to get Guinness, and then once Guinness was on board, sort of everyone was like, "Can I work with Guinness?" And I will take two percent yeah. of the profits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little Star Wars reference yeah, there sorry. from Tim. I had to get it in. Uh, Excellent. And, and, and Carla, of course, Patrick Stewart, mm. very early on. You know, yes, who yeah. does phenomenal amounts in ten minutes with no dialogue. Yeah, he yeah. Doesn't mm. but he does feature in the sequel, doesn't he? In the um, yes, yeah. well, he also people. gets no dialogue. Does he not? <laughs> oh, I thought there were some flashbacks in there, but yeah, I mean, he's great in it because it, it can't. So, no. So, um, oh, excellent! I'm really um, so. Yeah, that again is available on DVD. If yeah. You can get hold of it. So, uh, don't. I mean, you can of course watch the uh, the t- the film adaptation. I was going to ask. Also what do you think of the film? <laughs> you, don't, you don't approve. What do you think? I haven't actually seen it since oh. I was on general release seven years ago. Um, I, I kind of enjoyed it. It was alright. I much prefer the TV. Yeah. I think Gary Oldman's excellent. He is excellent. Mm, you may dis- I, no? I, I think he actually does a very good. I think he does evoke smiling. But it is a bit. There is a bit of a case of you know. It's always you're always thinking. Yeah, he's not and nice. I do like. And the direction is you know Alfredson's very very good mm, at mm. creating mood. Yeah, there's something about the time and that three hours 
uh, that, sorry, that six episodes yeah. has over a two-hour yeah. film. You know, something about that. Yeah, I think. Yeah, definitely. And and as you say, the kind of the periodness of it, the fact that it was happening as it was happening. I think mm-hmm. there's there's a there's a thing there of. of of sort of authenticity anyway what do you think let us know we're tweeting in tweet in at screen brum we have had um feathers and wings has asked us about the prisoner yes. now the prisoner is one uh we haven't mentioned but we have to yes. we've already we've already mentioned um uh patrick mcgowan yeah i was going to, we were talking about this all, i was talking about this off yeah and whether or not he is the same he is the character from secret agent man who has you know he, i'm not a secret agent anymore i'm a Whatever it is he says at the beginning, isn't he? And then gets rushed off to um, Port Merion <laughs> in Wales, which I yeah. have been to, um, and I would strongly recommend it's a place to visit. Port it's bizarre. Bonkers. Yeah, it really feels you know odd <laughs> to be there, but it's great. Um, so yes, the prisoner. I'm going to play some music from it, and we may have a little bit of chat more. But we do want to hear more contributions from you, please, uh, at Screen Brum on Twitter or info at screenbrum.co.uk. Your favourite paranormal conspiracy theories and any questions for Dr. Joseph Old and the poll. The poll. Oh, how. Funky Dunky is that Funky Dunky? I've just invented a new terminology. Mm. How Funky Dunky is the prisoner? Um, that's the opening titles to the the relatively short-lived t- mm. British TV series, um, which is about as sixties as you can get. Really, you're going to tell me now it came out in 1970, aren't you? Yeah, 67. Uh-huh. It's just it's just a few months after the first series of Cal, and it, there's the, the really? strange kind of paranoid wave of 67 on, on British television. Yeah, and 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 truly an odd an odd program and mm. many of our listeners i'm sure will be familiar with it but um you know if you haven't seen it again recently do do watch it just for all the kind of background weirdness that yeah. went on it's just it's odd i'd say but great with it you found tim of sorts mm. Okay. That's very qualified. Well, it's kind of bonkers in it a good is. way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it looks it's kind great. of fun. Yeah. It's kind of it has it, it is kind of totally sixties and in, uh, goofy. Mm. And there was a there was a, a remake, wasn't there, a few years ago? Yeah, no one mentions that. There with um, Ian McKellen in it, I think. No one mentions it. Yeah, so we, we, we'll, we'll keep that one. We'll keep Bad. that one quiet. Yeah. Um, so um, uh, thank you again. We've had another tweet. The Feathers and Wings has mentioned. Um, Watching this, the I think this was. Um, I'm not sure what she's talking um, about Callan um, or the the opening credits. A swing light bulb. Oh, that's Callan. That is Callan. Yeah. So if Edison Wings remembers that their dad watching it and remembering that at the beginning, that already sounds creepy. Um, and um, and 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 quite a few other tweets, some other mentions from people. Steve Green mentioned um, this question of whether or not Patrick McGowan is playing the same character uh, in Prisoner and the Prisoner and uh, Secret Agent Man, but he does appear in an episode of Columbo where he apparently kind of plays homage to both and he does mm. say be seeing you in that and I've, I've watched that episode mm. I can't remember I must have been I vaguely remember seeing well he's episode. wearing he's wearing yeah. a, a jacket that's very much like the one in the prisoner with, yeah. the, with the white piping and um, Brumson Radix has talked about the boys from Brazil very good which is um, uh, a, a, just about as paranoid as you can get. Um, conspiracy theory about, well, I can't tell you what it's about without spoiling it, but it's pretty paranoid. It's got Sorry. Gregory Peck in it as a. Is it Gregory Peck as the evil Nazi? I mean, maybe yeah. I'm. Uh, Larry. Um, and. Uh, sorry? And Lawrence Livy. Which one's the evil Nazi, or are they both? I'm not sure. Anyway, we'll watch and see. Um, um, Richard McKenna uh, has tweeted in. Thank you for that. Um, B Film tweeted in with Three Days of the Condor. 
Mm. Max von Sydow as the somber incarnation of any conspiracy is unbeatable. Seen you haven't seen Three Days of the Condor. Oh. Well, that is your homework. Yeah. Uh, he's great. And Jenny Kylie, hello. Um, thank you. They have mentioned, uh, Jenny has mentioned Pi. Now, Lucy has sprung Lucy's to life on this one. To talk about now. So there is a consp- I mean, this there is a conspiracy in there, isn't there? Oh yes. Ah. But, well, there, there's a, it, well, there's at least three. And <laughs> um, yes, I suddenly sprung into life. There is. Um, Aronofsky's I, in the house. Oh yes. Yes, I, I've been <laughs> sitting very quietly, which is probably a pleasure to some people to not have me rambling oh, on this week. Come now. Um, but. I've been having an education over here. I have to admit, spies have never been quite my forte. Mm. Not not so much out of choosing not to, but it's just never quite happened. Um, um, but pie now, that's my. <laughs> there's a, there's a, that is very very paranoid, and you will feel paranoid. Oh, yeah. There's no whole thing in there where there's just odd noises that happen on the tube. Yes, that yes. just yes. creates this real sense of sort of dread and nervousness. It kind of echoes of the. Of the what am I thinking of the uh, possession? Yeah, yes, definitely, definitely. Pretty grim. <laughs> Sorry, they're switching microphones. Yeah, we've talked about Pike in horror-related mm. programs yeah. as well. It does. Ha- it is a you know the use of sound and uh, just that black and white feel is so good. Another one that uh, that Jenny Kylie's mentioned that doesn't perhaps fit into the normal category of of paranormal conspiracy stuff um, is uh, and there's a link here with the boys from Brazil, Rosemary's Baby. Uh, written by Ira Levin. Um, again, um, you know, it's not spies, but it's conspiracies, and it's pretty darned dark. Mm. <laughs> and again, if we're talking about uh, evil conspiracies, this one knocks, uh, you know, you know, communists into a cocked hat <laughs> in terms of uh, the level of evil. We'll leave it. We'll leave that one hanging there. Um, so, thank you uh, very much for all your tweets. Really enjoying reading uh, those. Um, we are joined um, by Joseph Oldham here in the studio. He's talking about his favourite paranoid conspiracies. Favourite, the right word. Uh, the, the ones that he uh, has written in his book, um, Paranoid Visions, um, and. There, we've, we've talked about Callan. We've talked about um, the uh, Tinker Taylor. What do you think is the next one that's, that, that's a big one for people? The next one? Um, well, following this chronologically, I would say Edge of Darkness. Which um, Tim and I are cheering here. Edge of Darkness. Lucy, yeah, this, is, this is something you've not seen. Right. Well, you're going to enjoy hearing mm. about this because this is just a phenomenal. It was a phenomenon as well, wasn't it? Really? Yeah, massive. Um, Arguably one of the top three or top five TV series of all time. Discuss. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yep. So Blake and I agree. That's so, <laughs> so, so, Joe, tell tell the audience a little bit if they're not familiar with 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 the program. Ooh. Um, well, this is so. This is kind of the next step after Tinker Taylor, and you've got. Um, this is a kind of conspiracy drama, six episodes long, original written for television by Tree Kennedy Martin, a very kind of long-established um, writer. Wasn't and he from Zed Cars, I think? Yeah. That, that was his earlier creation. Yeah, yeah, and he, yeah, yeah, yeah. His brother created the Sweeney, but he just wrote for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is very much... It's kind of picking up... Um, so we've mentioned kind of some of the, the 70s US conspiracy thrillers, like Three Days of the Condor. This is where it kind of bleeds through to British television and was combined with the Tinker Taylor thing. Mm. And you start getting these kind of dramas that are about sort of 
um, political conspiracies in, in British society. Um, and so this one um, is kind of about, it's about sort of the nuclear state, it's about kind of privatization and, and um, it basically kind of starts off um, with this um, policeman and his activist daughter and then they get attacked by a gunman one night and, and she gets killed and then he has to try and find out who killed her um it sounds it's hard to kind of do justice to with a summary though um a lot of it's just kind of how powerfully atmospheric it is um it's it it looks incredible for something of its time it's Mm. it's so well directed and um loads of wonderful shadows and and a fantastic soundtrack by eric clapton and michael came and um and it's it's kind of another variation on sort of what we've been talking about about kind of the establishment. So he kind of, he's kind of going and doing his investigation in London and and sort of dealing with these kind of um, civil servants um, who who sort of sometimes help, sometimes obstruct. And there's also a guest appearance by um, Joe Don Baker as um, the CIA agent Darius Jedberg, who's just, just this ridiculously brilliant. flamboyant character. This is, yeah, I mean he's <laughs> yeah. like this full-on kind mm. of CIA. Head honcho with a big uniform and everything, and then there's a great scene because they're only breakfast in like a silk mm. kimono, yeah. which must have just seemed like just unbelievably kind of <laughs> feat at that time. Brilliant, and he's just he's fantastic, isn't it? He goes around with a cowboy hat, and, <laughs> and, and the main character's it's like, "What's what's this?" And he's like, "Oh, now Reagan's in the White House. We get to keep a higher profile." <laughs> it's fantastic, and and um, as you say, visually it looks amazing. It opens mm. with um, a credible. Just a, the most sinister train you've ever seen. So it's a mm. train passing through a, a British town, I think, sort of late at night, uh, carrying something, and it's just mm. incredibly atmospheric, isn't it? Really sinister. Yeah, with music over the top, um, fantastic. And Bob Peck, um, who plays the uh, the central character in there, has a just just this constant look of slightly bewildered pain uh, yeah. on his face all the time. He, he plays this kind of grieving father. Uh, you know the whole kind of classic kind of he's he's got nothing to lose mm. t- type of thing, but fantastic! It's absolutely brilliant in my opinion. Tim, you are foaming at the mouth with this one, aren't you? You love this too. I yeah, no, n- nothing else evokes the uh, the paranoid times than Edge mm. of Darkness. I think um, yeah, it, it, it's very uh, something that you, we haven't clocked on, or maybe we have when we were talking about Canon. Is everything you've picked so far is very British? Well, he's picking because this book's about British TV series. British TV series, they're pretty bad, but th- there's something about our mm. our relationship with. I don't think it's something peculiarly British. How the, the way that we the way that we deal with the way that we are paranoid. Mm. Well, it's the, it's, and, I think what you, um, what we do have is this idea of the establishment yeah. of this patrician idea that these 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 kind of civil servants yeah. in grey suits that are actually. You know, telling you know, playing pawns for the rest of our lives. About, it's talked about now. Mm. You know, it's talked about then. It's always been you know a sort of a thing that we talk about. Mm. But now this 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 evokes it with the whole Cold War, post Falklands War, nuclear mm. threat aesthetic. I tell you what, of, what will what yeah. will sum up all of these themes perfectly <laughs> is if we play the trailer. Now, this will sum up the program. Um, the context, which is BBC Two in the mid '80s, um, and the TV context, all in one place. So I want you to listen to this. This is a this is taken directly from somebody's home video recording this off the telly in 1985 or something when it came out um, off BBC Two. Listen, what he told us what follows. It's very good. Listen all the way to the end. 
and you will hear something that will make you feel especially Starting paranoid. next Monday on BBC Two, Edge of Darkness, Bob Peck plays Ronald Craven, a CID officer whose daughter Emma is murdered by a gunman. He's plunged into a world of conflicting interests and motives. We found the car. Got Lowe's fingerprints all over it. Lowe's? That's not my list. You put him away ten years ago, remember? He's saying he killed her. You like to play things close to the chest, don't you, Craven? Yes, till I know what's going on. For instance, I don't know who you are or what your interest is. We won't direct the cabinet office. As far as they're concerned, we have carte blanche. How deeply was she involved with Gaia? She was committed. I don't know much about it. But what I do know, I don't think she'd have wanted me to tell you. Your daughter was a terrorist, Craven. You might as well get used to it. People who mess with plutonium are terrorists. Edge of Darkness, six episodes of Intrigue, starting next Monday at 9.30 on BBC Two. Well, the game now on two is Championship Bowling, and our host is David Icke. Oh, oh my God! <laughs> there we go. Remember, uh, youngsters, David Icke was we used to be a a sports presenter here on uh, in on British TV. He was he was. It, that's why it was particularly odd for us that one day David Icke uh, appeared on uh, Wogan wearing his uh, lavender shell suit and that, said and said, "Yeah, well, I think he said didn't he think he was." The Son of God, I'm not That's quite right. sure. He starts off with the Son of God. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think he believes that anymore, but um, oh, I think he okay. does believe a number of you know, unconventional um, conspiracies that are taking place. It's very entertaining, say. Yeah. Uh, yeah um, but, um, but anyway, he, um, we're not talking real-life conspiracies. Edge of Darkness, although it's, again, are we? Uh, 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 again, remade into a film. Similar to remakes. <laughs> and this one was uh, Mel, Mel Gibson. Gibson. I haven't uh, seen it. Uh, I haven't seen it, uh, but I, I can have... confidently predict that it's not as good. No, it's not. Is it any good? Um, it's all right. It's, perf- okay. it's perfectly It's like, perfectly serviceable. It's, it's, I, I will say there's a lot of this that happened, because um, I want to touch on State of Play, actually, mm. a bit as well. And, of course, they remade that as well as a, with, with a, with, as a film. That's right, isn't it? And Russell Crowe, yeah. And with Russell Crowe and Helen Mirren and Rachel McAdams, and it was perfectly fine. But mm. it's that whole thing when you're taking the, the immersion of a TV series and, and cramming it in, and doing a, a sort of a reboot, retake, mm. changing the plot, putting it into America, changing it all around. When and you're often kind of yanking it out of the context quite literally that actually yanking inspired it. it. The yank world. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two, two, two hours instead of ten or six yeah. or whatever. It's never, it's never, for me, I don't know, you, you're very wedded to the original. Yeah. I am anyway. Well, mm. when it's something like this, which is which is you know, absolutely and, perfect, and of course Martin Campbell directed Edge of Darkness, the film as well. Well, he, who also directed the series. So yeah, oh, right, he directed no. the series. I, I mean, did not I, know yeah. that. I did lots not of know that. lots of links to Bond, but you can find those on Twitter. So uh, from our previous discussions yeah, earlier this week. Well, so <laughs> uh, so um, so you you like this? I'm taking then, Joe. There's nothing else to say. Edge of Darkness. Yes, yes, very much so. Yes, <laughs> it is. Um, and it is pretty. I mean. Mm. These things are all all pretty bleak that we've talked about, but yeah. this one is absolutely midnight black, isn't it? It's really bleak. Yes, yeah, so, well, it, it does have some kind of strange dark humour, particularly around the the Darius Jedburgh mm. character. There's a bit of kind of strangeness and sort of surrealness. He there, actually provides it? levity. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> is Zoe Wanamaker in it as well? Yes. Yeah, imagine that. Yeah, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the overarching. 
I, I mean, it begins with, a, with someone being bereaved mm. um, and it uh, gets worse <laughs> for <Yeah>. him <laughs> as it goes on. So, I mean, it's, it's yeah, but again, it's, it is very, it makes you feel paranoid as well, doesn't mm. it? A lot of dark nights and washes and ooh, I'm feeling quite creeped out because that film is it set a lot of precedents you know you know of course we talk about Martin Campbell who then went on to do a bond and Joe Don Baker comes in and then Michael Kamen of course he'd just done Brazil and um, but of course this was the the, the leap the leaping point for Michael Kamen mm. you know and his collaboration with Eric Clapton continued of course with Lethal Weapon but a lot of those motifs those classic Kamen motifs are all over this mm. the mood piece is perfect and then of course you know we, we know what he went on to do so uh, so, yeah. so um, yeah, brilliantly, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant visual, brilliant acted, brilliantly written, brilliantly soundtracked. Have I missed anything? Does anyone not like Edge of Darkness? Please tweet in. Mm, provocative. <laughs> <laughs> Please tweet in, and we will explain to you how incredible you are. Um, so, um, Tim, uh, do you have any other? Um, we've been whizzing through, and, and uh, any mentions that, that you would like, other things you, you'd like to mention that we haven't talked about yet because i do have one that i want to bring up um go to yours first because i'd rather riff off you what you're saying um i've got lots but I, i've got I'm one not in the right decade yet I, i've got one that i don't i don't quite understand why no one has mentioned yet um and i wonder whether or not i was the only person that ever noticed this existing um i'm going to play some music from it because it's brilliant um and then we'll be back uh, if, so if you know what it is tweet in um at screen brum and we'll be back talking paranoid TV. Come here a minute. Caught out by the ending there. Um, so, did anyone recognise that? The the voices at the beginning may have given it away. If you have seen the programme, it was from Channel 4's Utopia, written by Dennis Kelly. Um, and um, Dennis Kelly also worked on Spooks, which we were going to talk about possibly later mm, on as a, yeah, as a British TV spy drama. And um, very quickly, uh, Utopia, if you haven't seen it, um, you can you, you can wait till the end of the show. But after that, I insist you go and watch it. Um, but do not do so um, with your uh, grandmother in the room. Uh, do not do so uh, if you're feeling uh, emotionally delicate because it's quite a heavy, it's quite an intense experience. You, um, you will never look at a spoon in the same way again. Uh, <laughs> yes, it, uh, it's 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 phenomenal. Uh, so it's got uh, Fiona O'Shaughnessy, Alexander Roach, uh, Neil Maskell, amongst others, um, uh, and uh, and are just one of the most terrifying baddies. Um, I've ever seen on TV. <laughs> Paul Reddy um, playing a, a sort of yellow-suited hitman. Um, just mm. and the colours in this thing is amazing. It's, it's, so the story is about a bunch of sort of losers and misfits against a power, powerful secret society. You know that kind of thing um, revolving around um, a, a comic book, mm. and it's shot like a comic book. Lots of very very bright primary colours. Um, lots of framing that looks like that as well. Just. Just a fantastic soundtrack by Christabel Tapia de Vere, which you heard the overture there from. And just, I think, one of the best um, British TV series of the last 10 years, and certainly, I think, the best conspiracy one that I have seen. Now, Lucy... Mm, you might be right. Yeah. yeah. Now, so, so <laughs> th- this, competitors. Does it finish... Does it, does it feature in the book? In your book? Ooh, it gets a very brief mention. Um, I'd, I'd have liked to have written more about it actually, but I just I didn't have space. I kind of, I kind of finished at Spooks uh, ne- next yeah. next time. But Lucy, you know, you're you're not a big fan of the conspiracy theories in general, but you like this one. Yeah, this was 
my main choice for today, really. I've been waxing lyrical about it since it came out, so that's about five years now. Mm-hmm. Anyone, um, for a long time after I watched it, it was sort of, go watch this. It's on all four, so you can get it. Oh, is it? Easily. Um, Two series, but, but the, yes. the, the, you know, I, I personally thought the second series wasn't as good, but... I, I don't know. I yeah. think that was brilliant too. I think um, you just said off there then that once the conspiracy is revealed, then there's only so far you can mm-hmm. go past that. Um, but I, I thought it was brilliant sort of how grim it got past that. I, it, it didn't... It was relentless, yeah. you know. And But one thing about it was, I think because of the coloration of it, there was... Always, not not quite humour to it, but it, there was a lightness Distance. to it. Yeah. It feels again, like a comic book. Is, yes, yeah. it was comic. And therefore, you the vi- because it is a lot of incredibly. It's very very violent indeed. Oh yes. uh, yeah. But the, 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 that comic bookness. If it was kind of shot in a kind of uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier by a kind of realistic it way, would it would be. Yeah, it yeah. would be unbearable. Um, um, but yes, it's, so it's not. Yeah, it's not a. No, but I, I think that's because of part of the story of it really Mm. because it being based around this idea that these secrets are being let out through a comic book this graphic novel that everyone's trying so hard to acquire the pages for so they can uncover this conspiracy and um so I suppose that's why they went with that style of it. Um, but I think it relates back as well to what you were saying earlier, Joe, about um, the the class thing. And mm. I think that's looked at in a really interesting way that isn't by a lot of these kinds of things because it, it's not just these fairly singular spies or small groups sort of go, going out against each other and spying on each other's secrets. It's, it's much bigger than that. And it, it's international. It's one group, which is very large. And rather than working against each other in sort of fairly mine, it's small contacts, um, it, it's an entire elite working mm. against as exemplified in uh, is it, uh, is it a fox is it James Fox Edward Fox yeah one of the foxes yeah. uh, uh, you know who has that kind <laughs> of you know establishment contempt dripping off him doesn't he he always keeps showing up in things like that in that kind of part yeah, yeah. maybe maybe it's real Maybe you know. Don't don't. Let's not get all paranoid. It's not real. It's just TV. No, let's get paranoid. Okay. Have you seen it, Tim? I have only watched a few episodes oh. of it, uh, and I should be like binge watching it. You should get back to it. I think yeah. I'm. Now that I discovered it's available on More Four, I might go and watch it again. It's on More Four, is it? Yeah. Good. Apparently. So right. um, get yeah. onto that. And and you and you approve, Joe? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. It's um, yeah, fantastic. So that was. My well, I'm with you about the first series being the, the best one. The, yeah, the, the, the good one, the essential one. Um, mm. One thing I think I think they did do in the second series, which again is is very unusual, is the first episode of the second series is all is all a flashback. Yeah, um, and essentially uh, irrelevant to the rest of the series. You could you could have put that episode in any of any part within the first series and it would have made exactly the same sense well it's quite an inventive way of doing a sort of previously on because it basically shows you all the stuff they found out about the history in the first series mm. 
yeah, with Rose Leslie um, in that as well. So, yeah, brilliant. Okay, Utopia, um, we are recommending here Oops, in the studio. Um, but we are, of course, joined by an expert on paranoia, um, and that is uh, Dr. Joe Oldham. So is there a, uh, another series we should be looking out for? Right, okay. Uh, my next nomination was... Um a show very close to my heart that, that, that I remember when I was a younger person. This is this is Bugs oh. from the mid to late 90s. Okay, right, we're going to have to play this because some people won't have heard of this. They won't even have heard of Clay McLaughlin. Into the age-old battle against evil step a new breed of heroes. Do not proceed without full clearance. Electronic warriors. I said we could achieve the impossible. In mortal combat at the edge of reality. As a weapon of terror, it's close to perfect. At the threshold of the future, forcing back the frontiers of crime. Starring Craig McLaughlin, Jay Griffiths, and Jesse Birdsell. Bugs begins next Saturday, five past eight, on BBC One. Eradicate this file. Eradicate this file. There we go. That was bugs. So that was, um, yeah, this is perhaps at the more, let's say, entertaining end. Yes, this is probably the least paranoid thing that I've picked today. Um, so, so tell us a bit about it. Well, I've just chosen this one because it, well, A, I think it's a bit neglected. Um, I, I think it's actually, I think it's quite quietly sort of influential, or at least quite pathbreaking in its kind of use of technology. I kind of went for it because. Um, so I kind of grew up in the 90s, um, and I got into spy fiction by just kind of largely watching kind of repeats of The Man from Uncle and lots of other 60s stuff, like, you know, in British television in the 90s when they seemed to just show lots and lots of old stuff. Um, and then, um, so then Bugs started um, in 1995, um, and I, I found out, you know, looking back on it, researching into it, that it, it was deliberately conceived of as a sort of pastiche and homage to kind of all the kind of fun, upbeat 60s spy shows like Man from Uncle and Avengers and so on, um, but kind of mixed with all this kind of cutting-edge 90s technology. Um, floppy know. discs. Yeah. Floppy discs. <laughs> yeah. A modem. We can, we can upload the file in only yeah. 24 hours. <laughs> World Wide Web. <laughs> And I, I, well, I would have been like 10 when this started, and it was the coolest, most exciting thing there was. Um, Helicopter chases. Yeah. Uh, Craig McLaughlin, who was a big star at the time, uh, mm. he, he'd been on Neighbours and he had a Strace. pop a pop uh, career um, <laughs> of sorts. Um, song uh, I can remember. Uh, and Jesse Birdsall, who was, who was also quite a sort of sort of handsome reading man in a kind of James Bondy kind of way, wasn't he? And Jay Griffiths, who was also a big at that time. That's well. right. Yeah. And so these computer nerds. Together they fight crime. Solving yeah. crime at the edge of reality. Kind of, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever that exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so, I mean, why does this feature as a, as, as there conspiracies in here? Are they not just fighting boring criminals or is, or is there something more to it that, that gets it under the wire? Do you think? Well, I suppose I've chosen it more to represent the spy genre. Um, I mean, I mean, yeah, there are there are conspiracies. I mean, generally, that's kind of evil plots be fought every week. There's a bit of a kind of conspiracy story arc in the second series, especially. Mm. Um, I quite what I think is actually quite interesting about it is it's how interest it's got a lot of stuff about um, digital surveillance technology. I find really interesting and it's actually it's almost the completely sort of anti-paranoid depiction so at the time you've got your sort of enemy of the state type things which are about you know all this new digital surveillance that's that can kind of completely sort of survey you and 
suppress you and just kind of destroy all your agency and have you constantly on the run. But Bugs is a is is it's kind of the utopian version of um, surveillance technology. Um, um, it's you know all all three of its main characters are really technologically proficient and they make all these kind of cool devices for kind of spying on people and bugging people. Like it's all it's all there in the title. The title sort of says its interest. Um, so it's it's this kind of very very sort of fun vision where anyone can just sort of go down to their lab and just sort of knock up devices and, and do all kinds go on all kinds of cool spy adventures with with all these kind of little toys that they've they've invented. Um, so yeah, it's 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 almost the kind of riposte to the usual sort of paranoia of surveillance culture. It's the it's the mm. establishment preparing us for the, well, for the yeah. state. That's where it is. I mean, you talk about enemy of the state. There, this mm. is an interesting kind of counterpoint to this. Um, that's Will Smith. Um, yes. And what I find fascinating about that one is um, Gene Hackman's character. So mm. Gene Hackman plays a paranoid um, wiretapper type. Much Ooh, as he has does. he done that before? Yeah, in, in <laughs> the conversation, Francis Ford Coppola's just amazing yes. uh, paranoid conspiracy thing. I know it's outside of your of your remit in terms of TV, but uh, we do have to mention it because it is just brilliant. He's, he's listening in today. He, as uh, I've been yeah. tweeting about, most most people are. Now, if you're listening in today, it doesn't mean you know we're we're, we're open to that. We're excited. well. I think it's interesting that the, you talk about those two, the bugs and the enemy of the state, because. Enemy of the state says it's awful. You know, mm. you could be listened into. That you know, be, wake up people. You could be listened into. Bug says, "Hey, it's all fun." Um, and and <laughs> that attitude is very much won out because you know my phone constantly just tells me things. I have no idea how it knows them mm. about me, uh, and says, you know, well, you're staying here tonight, and um, we'd like this reply to your email. And um, you know, and then we find out that all these you know listings happening and our data has been harvested, mm. and we all go. Yeah, whatever. But, you know, it's convenient. Uh, so it seems like the buggy an idea that, mm. you know, don't worry. <laughs> Just don't worry. We'll happy share it. It's come out. And I'm sure, I, I don't know if it's been, it, it, it seems quite, uh, it's quite romantic how it portrays the uh, the world of the internet and telecoms by the looks mm. of it. You know, compare that to Black Mirror. Yeah. <laughs> but still and the paranoid world in which we live now. It's still very exotic because um, Bugs, yeah. Bugs ends in 1999, by which point it's still a minority of people in the UK who actually have access to the internet, I believe. Yeah. Um, so it's it's still this quite sort of aspirational thing. That's, it's an that's aspirational for, cool for thing. kind of yeah. kind of real kind of hobbyists. Yeah. yeah, I remember sending an email in 1995 mm-hmm. in the library. I went to the library and logged into this great big machine, and I, the only people I could reach were, were about uh, four other Billy Bragg fans that we could just send mm-hmm. emails to each other saying, "I like Billy Bragg." So do I. <laughs> Isn't Lily Gragg good? Hmm. What's your favourite Billy Bragg song? That was what the internet was <laughs> back then. Uh, we had some tweets in about it. Feathers and Wings, hello, our constant listener. Thank you for, for tweeting in that they remember it. And uh, Aid Spink has mentioned uh, that uh, he loves the sh- he loved the show. He seemed to remember it had lots of explosions in the London Docklands. Oh yes, there's there's a good drinking game to be had for bugs. Every time there's an explosion, every time the Canary Wolf Tower comes into shot, every time the Docklands Light Railway comes into shot, like Is that you, all... you can get wrecked with the first series by just playing this game. <laughs> That's where all yeah. crime was committed in the mid nineties and the seventies. Except there was no Canary Wharf back then. That's right, just it's lots just of empty space. Empty space for car chases. Yeah. Yeah. Sweetie, that's right, and uh, and the professionals. And that's, that's uh, the really weird thing. Ashes to ashes. Yeah, <laughs> it's that's the thing about bugs. You kind of like it. It seems quite a sort of light apolitical thing, but then when you just sort of think, I'm, I'm watching the redeveloped Dobtons, like the sort of you know the pinnacle of Thatcherism, and this is 
but this is where you know you had you had the, exactly the same locations that the Sweeney were doing where their Bodie and Doyle were mm, yeah wrapping around and there's <laughs> there's just so it's such a kind of loaded environment there's just so much kind of history to it um Oh, that's good. I, I, and it looks, I mean, as I say, I, I vaguely remember watching a few episodes. I don't know, because I, I think you have to be of a certain childhood age to remember it. I was maybe. Kind of, I'm probably a little older. Mm. As is Blake and I, a, bit, a little bit older. I was, I was very, I remember, I was um, working in a record shop selling Craig McLaughlin records wow. at this time. That's brilliant. That's well, good. I remember it so vividly. Um, hey, Mona. Mona yeah. Ooh, Mona. Okay. Tell you, Mona. So um, like thing. Yeah. Oh, well. So I remember, this is, if you think this is late 90s, so it's only like a couple of years before 24, and it's only mm. like just a few years before Spooks. So there yeah. must be wow. some parallels to Spooks. It, it feels and, like and there's a massive gulf there. Yeah. In I don't know. In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. I think Spooks sort of, immediately kind of picks up on the sort of surveillance element mm. and the sort of high-tech locations. But I think we might be going there in a minute, so uh, yeah, I don't well, want to spoil your fun. Before, um, before we, we go on to speech, I want to play some more music because we have talked about the conversation and I want to play some music from David Shire's fantastic soundtrack to that. Um, the, the conversation features a lot of uh, sort of freeform jazz, which to me is the most paranoid musical form. I think if I were, yeah, you know, it, it descent into paranoid madness seems quite inexplicably linked with jazz piano to me. Or is that just me? Well, the CIA funded jazz in the fifties. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> you should, you in should. order to break people's moral codes or something. It was, um, it was as a kind of propaganda to show how sophisticated American culture was to European intellectuals. Really? Mm. Gosh. I don't know. I find hanging around with some jazz musicians <laughs> makes me paranoid, but yeah. that's fine. Um, <laughs> let's have a listen to it. So this is the theme from The Conversation, um, and it's from The Conversation. Isn't that good? We're back. So, Tim, you wanted to mention something. This is the, the soundtrack to the conversation we're playing. I, I thought, if I'm going to mention a film that talk, looks about uh, the, the sort of the uh, people listening in and that kind of approach to uh, film, I, I, I think you can't escape not talking about the lives of others, mm. which for me is the one of the best Cold War-related films, period, dot, period, period, dot. Um, and a film that actually, you know, goes right into the heart of um, some a Stasi officer who basically is, he's employed to listen into the walls of people and the lives of others, since the film's title. Um, and he starts to get involved in a particular a particular side plot involving a couple and a bunch of... Uh, he starts to get emotionally involved. He can't remove himself from those situations. And... Um, it's about the cruelty of the Stasi, about cru- about the cruelty of human relationships and the, fr- the fr- fragility of uh, relationships in Berlin. As is someone to my left wanting to say something as well? No, no. no. I thought <laughs> you were looking at Lucy, and when Lucy Lucy wants to say something, sometimes I can't see her going. Hey, I've got something to say. <laughs> this is great, great radio, um, everyone. I'm just agreeing. <laughs> um, so um, I I just thought you know it, as a character study and as a kind of portrayal of paranoia mm-hmm. and, and the sort of the world of Berlin in the nineteen and the sort of the, the Cold War period. I, I thought it's a nice kind of complement to the conversation. There you go. Very, uh, yeah, and of I course, I say that, that the, the conversation fits into that whole cycle that we have touched on as well with um, listening in with yeah and the three days at the Condor and all that kind of seventies thing. But we were. Actually, we're actually going to step away from the seventies. Oh, I should say, sorry, the poll is still open. I'll give you a poll update in a, after we talk as about to whether the next they're thing. actually out to get Blake. Is yes, that? they're out to get Blake. Please contribute. Thank you. Um, so, um, 
let's play a clip from uh, the next program that uh, Joe wants to talk about, um, which I think I think we've already we've already trailed this. Hello, Harry. Welcome home, Lucas. How are you feeling? Fine. Good. Cold. Welcome to London, Arcadi. Of course, you'll be working hard to replace the spy we're sending home. Isn't that the dance? He'll look after Lucas now he's home. He's weak. He's tired. You tell him, eat broccoli. I think you suffered enough, don't you? you know, when you sent Lucas to Moscow, he paid an appalling price. You might wish to ensure such a thing does not happen again in the near future. Is this a message, Arcadi, or merely a homily? I am making conversation like an Englishman. Nothing will beat Dennis Hopper doing Russian as Victor Drazen in Series 174, <laughs> well, in my opinion. I am Victor Drazen. <laughs> I am spy. Um, yeah, pretty um, pretty kind of platonic form of spy drama there, right? So this is what programme? This is Spooks. Spooks. Which was on our airways for a whole decade from 2002 to 2011. <sighs> Ten series and present. a film. Yes. To, to, to paraphrase uh, Community, which we will, which has got a great Paranoid Conspiracy mm. Theory episode yes. in it. We've been told that by uh, a listener, uh, Dr. Cat, so thank you for that. But this had ten series in it and yes. a film. So why is it important? Um, just because it's so big. It's, 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 it's sort of in contrast to um, like the 60s when you had lots of different spy shoes. It's like Spooks is just so kind of big and definitive. It just kind of squats over the decade. And <laughs> if you sort of want to talk about British spy shoes, it's kind of, it's kind of there. Um, and I, I, I very much enjoy it. Um, you know, it, um, it's one I mostly watched all the way through. I kind of dipped out a bit in the middle, but I had to catch on a bit later. Um, um, I have particularly fond memories of the early series um, yeah. when it I think it was. It felt really kind of fresh and new. Um, so Matthew McFadden yeah. and um, Peter Firth, who plays the kind of central the legend that is Harry. Pierce. Yeah, yeah. I love Harry Pierce, he's and the he man. and he's the only person who's in all of them, isn't he? Yes. Um, and again, just like, like casting of um, Alec Guinness in Tinker Tailor, you know, he is obviously a very well known face, or had already mm. been a very well known face, and a kind of established serious actor yeah gives it that kind of gravitas i don't know absolutely um and he's a little it, not, not quite a sporting character but he's a little bit backgrounded in the early series it's a bit more about matthew McFadden and the kind of younger people and it's sort of when they spoilers eventually kind of lose like <laughs> the cast over and over and over um <laughs> he, he he sort of they they kind of realize that he's the kind of main sort of through line and kind of foreground him a lot more um, and that's, I mean, that thing that you alluded to, which you know is, is an elephant in the room. We can't really talk about this program. But I'm mentioning it is its uh, body count, yes. shall we say? Um, again, marks it out a little bit because mm. you know it started off big stars, big you know heroism, and then no one's safe. Yeah, people were constantly getting blown up and shot and dispatched in various Absolutely. grim ways i've done kind of i've done some surveys of the radio times coverage and if you kind of if you look at the radio times issues promoting the later series that you, you tend to get on at least two occasions they did panels of kind of favorite deaths from previous series <laughs> and the kind of, the, sort of the manner of how they get killed off and then sort of like who will survive this series um, well matthew mcfadden doesn't he sort of 
just sort of resign in a rather un uh, you know sort of slightly un an uh, undramatic way, as I recall. But anyway, spoiler: <laughs> anyone who hasn't yeah, seen yeah. it yet, but you've I, had it, you've had ten years. I think that you you have a similar um, similar sort of timeline to the series as I do. I did dip out in the middle as well. Yeah, but then when um, you've got Hermione Norris's Roz and um, Lucas Richard Armitage, yeah, Richard Armitage, uh, you know, who's um, doing a brilliant series which I haven't seen set in Berlin. I wonder, can't remember what it's called. It's on more for. Or something, but I, it's another spy conspiracy. Liar. I can't imagine. remember. I need to find it. People have told me about it. Anyway, back to back to this. When they got those two characters back, and they started, um, Harry Harry Pierce started having a a romantic relationship mm. with a lady called Ruth Evershed, um, and um, that character that kind of reinvigorated the series completely. I thought. But yes, the last, the last three, four, three or four series were very good. I thought. No? Um, I, yeah, I quite enjoyed them the whole. I think I mean I tend to favour the early series. The early series um, are better. I mean, I was, uh, they're better in sort of all round quality. I think yeah. it sort of later on it becomes very dependent on sort of star actors and performers and and some sort of increasingly silly but kind of fun arcs. Um, and it sort of it starts off filled in, with silly but fun arcs. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it starts off in two thousand two and it's initially this very sort of like earnest war on terror thing. Whereas I mean that clip there. Um, I was trying to find a clip from the early series. I couldn't seem to get one at, um, at, at short notice. But um, that one was from the seventh series, which is, as it goes on, it almost kind of slips back into this kind of Cold War pastiche thing. It sort of, it it, it sort of ceases being quite so ripped from the headlines and starts being a, and starts increasingly just kind of like stealing bits from well, it's, history. It's, it, 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 does it end up being a program about spy programs? Kind of, kind of. I think mm. it owes a lot to a lot of British mm. classic British TV series from the seventies and eighties. I think it owes a lot to the professionals, actually, the way that they, the way that you know, the way that Pete, um, Harry Pierce's character and sends out people to to do, to yeah. do missions and things like that. It owes a CI lot to that. Five. CI yeah. five, yeah, and you know, it. it owes a lot to the kind of the to those kind of fun. Elements mm. of six, and but the thing is also it's very rooted in the two that in the in the noughties, isn't it? And it constantly refers to uh, things that might have been happening in the news mm. or fears yeah, of Al Qaeda yeah. and post nine eleven, and they, even they got into trouble in the sort of the mid noughties because they did something. It was very it had a central London bombing. It was very post. It was post seven seven, and it was mm. so tapping into. In the same way that Twenty Four does the same thing in America, to be honest, mm. I think there, there, was, there are parallels about how you use that post nine eleven universe to make to make TV. Well, I mean, relevant uh, crime fiction, um, you know, is famously kind of a good way to explore broad issues because the detective is not part of it. Whatever milieu he goes into, he's not actually mm. part of it. He is, you know, he's observing it. And I suppose the spy genre is a similar thing, isn't it? So we can talk about political issues when we've got these mm. people who are within the story but they're kind of also out they're not participants in the sense of they're playing other people's games i don't know is yeah. that does that does that make sense absolutely um yeah spooks I mean, really kind of plays with this idea certainly the early series where they do a lot of undercover work it sort of plays with the idea that they're sort of like infiltrating lives and then when people kind of find them they, they they're just kind of abandon them yeah just kind of vanish and then uh, particularly in spooks it's it's um, as with bugs, in a way, there's there's this kind of emphasis on um, high tech control rooms. That's the that's the very sort of post nineties development on, in the genre. I think these very kind of sophisticated headquarters sets, 
Um, which uh, 24 is just the absolute kind of pinnacle of that, isn't mm. it? You know, the kind of nerds that were just, right, I'm in. Yeah. I can uh, hack <laughs> yeah. into uh, the, the Kremlin mainframe easy enough. But it's like they kind of, it's like they're almost kind of aliens who come out of this high-tech space. Like it might as well be the TARDIS, this, the, these kind of high-tech headquarters that they sort of retreat into mm. that's entirely separate from the rest of the world well i mean 24 is a classic one that it, it mm. just it's just a dark dungeon it doesn't have any mm. you know windows or it doesn't appear to be in the real world at all so fantastic oh yes spooks Lots great fun. choice fun it, and fun is a word to apply to spooks it is quite fun isn't it silly <laughs> increasingly so <laughs> silly silly fun uh, yeah hmm uh, yeah, there was more. There was more weight to the early seasons. But yeah. yeah, it just became more. Serious. And a film as well. Does that worth? I haven't seen it. Is it worth checking out? It's got, um, you know, nothing. Jon Snow out of um, yeah. Um, I, I think we we touched on this. I, yeah. I I thought it was great fun to see Harry Pierce on the big screen, uh, doing Harry Pierce and doing that thing. You know, he's kind of mourning because he's lost Ruth Evershed, and mm. then uh, then Jon Snow turns up, and uh, you know uh, he, he has, you know, young guy doing some action, and then and then there's a bit of intrigue and a bit of a bit of a, sort of a bit of a plot line involving some terrorists, and then it's a bit of who's on the inside, a bit of mole mole action. Mm. Oh, Tim Tim turns up, so I'm hello Harry, I'm Tim McHenry. I'm you know I'm the bad guy. I'm going to tell you I'm the bad guy until the end. You know the bad guy. You know I am the bad guy. Spoiler, everyone. Spoiler alert, everyone. But, uh, Tim McKinnery is the um, bad guy. Come on. Yeah, and Jessica Ely. She, Jennifer Ely, sorry, turns up. Jessica, Jennifer, Jennifer Ely turns up, and he's she's very good. Um, it's a TV movie, though. My yeah. God, it's like a ninety. It's a ninety-minute episode of Spooks with a slightly higher budget. Yeah. Um, and, but yeah, it's I wonder fun. if it looked better on the TV. I thought it was a bit. It seemed a bit much somehow. It's quite dark. It was mm. quite dark and sort of quite yeah, a little bit much, a bit more. A bit more brutal, a little more fifteen rated, but mm. Harry Pierce is Harry Pierce, so you watch it for that. Um, thank you for your tweets. We'd we'd love to hear more from you. What you think? Are you a, are you a fan of Spooks? Have you sat and and watched every episode? Has anyone out there binge them all in a weekend? All well, I don't know, two hundred do episodes. How do you do ten seasons in a weekend? It's you know just just it's put possible. the effort in, put it on it's high speed. Mere eighty six episodes. Uh, yes. Mere eighty six episodes. There I you go. Can I thank can I thank feathers and feathers and wings for pointing out the Richard Armitage series, um, series which I want to watch. It's called Berlin Station, and it's supposed oh. to be very very good. I like the sound of that already. Thank you, um, uh, thank you also to Joel Blackledge, who's mentioned Blowout, which was the John Travolta kind of remake of Blow Up, mm. which was uh, the kind of a quintessential 60s uh, conspiracy thing, but he prefers Blowout. Um, Parallax View, and um, both versions of The Mancurian Candidate, and the first three versions of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, and Tom Cavanaugh's mentioned the conversation, Marathon Man, and No Way Out. Um, and that's cool. yeah, a great film. Uh, the the Mancurian Candidate is 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 one I want to just quickly touch on as well because the original, yeah, the nineteen sixty two original, John Frankenheimer. It's brilliant. Um, I haven't seen the other one. I can't comment on it, but um, it's it's the classic kind of Cold War sleeper agents. Um, brilliant cast got Frank Sinatra Lawrence Harvey Janet Lee, Angela Lansbury Angela Lansbury plays Lawrence Harvey's mum she's evil and she's only three years older than him in real life but um, you don't doubt it for a minute it's just so good um, and it's about as paranoid as you can get really I mean it is it is you know, it's obviously anti-communist but um, it's anti-communist and anti-anti-communist yes exactly <laughs> 
It is. It's a bit it's layered sort of, on it's, that. It spoofs McCarthyism whilst validating McCarthyism. Yeah. It's, 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 there's a lot to it. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good description. Mm. And, and um, I mean, you've got to – if you don't have the time to watch it, and uh, Lucy, you're looking blankly. I'm sure you haven't seen it. But just watch the opening scene, the opening maybe six or seven minutes, and then tell me you don't want to watch the rest. That's all I'm going to say. You will watch that. And you and it's it's quite a, a technical achievement. It's quite an interesting visual effect, I and mean, just incredibly arresting, bizarre. You know, it's worthy of the prisoner in some ways that opening sequence. But um, yeah, you will want to watch the rest of it if you see that. And it's got Frank Sinatra in a vest, so it's added to my increasing list of homework from today. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, it's going to increase even more. Okay, so that's another one that I wanted lots more to, to mention, and uh, and thank you um, to I think it was Joel Blackledge who mentioned that, and Joel's also mentioned um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is a whole other kind of sort of sci-fi element, but we, we won't get into sort of those level of conspiracies. I'm going to get really dark. Um, can I mention one other um, thing? And um, because this is something which is quite close to my heart, and I wanted to to talk about is the Thirty Nine Steps. Um, and I, when I say this, there's multiple versions of this, and yeah. I want to kind of talk about it as a concept rather than any individual one. So for me, it was the 1978 film um, where I came into this with Robert Powell, right. which was um, the one that's the, possibly the closest to John Buchan's novel. Mm. But it had previously been made twice before 1935 by Alfred Hitchcock in 1959 by Ralph Ton- Thomas. Um, featuring Kenneth Moore, I believe I read. I remember hearing this on the radio, and I've been trying to find out if I ma- imagined this. So I might have imagined this, but I remember hearing on the radio many years ago that John Buchan, who I think he died in 1940, came to see the the 39 Steps um, Alfred Hitchcock version, and uh, it was invited to the premiere, and it had an interval, as films did in those days. So in the interval, he went up to Alfred Hitchcock and said, "This is a wonderful story. I wonder how it ends." Because they changed it so much um, from the uh, from his book, most notably the ending. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love it. It's got the 1978 one is the one that really um, holds it for me because it's got you know Robert Cowell hanging off a cock, which again is not in the book, but it's just. Does know. it actually feature the 39 steps? Because I was really annoyed that the the Hitchcock version doesn't actually feature the steps that are in the title. They, they it just makes re- the title refer to something else. Yeah, I think they, I think in the, they just say that that's the aim of the organisation. Yeah, and then yeah, it's it's they like, There was also a British TV series in two thousand and eight of it as well, which apparently mm. it's got Rupert Penroy Jones out of spooks in it. Yes, so there's. I the remember kind of watching that, and I don't remember it being. I don't. I think it. Hmm. I don't I, remember much about it. I think no. it was perfectly fine for like two thousand, and then they went and meddled with the ending again. It seemed yeah. like no, nobody wants to do the ending. Probably. It was very straight. Uh, it was done very straight. Yeah. I thought, yeah. if I remember rightly. But I, I, it's somehow for me, it kind of sums up the. All of the man on the run, secret conspiracy, there's a big thing going on and he's an ordinary man who doesn't understand what's going on. Yeah. For me, the 39 Steps kind of encapsulates that. And, and it's sort of – because I've seen all the different versions and the stage show, which is like a sort of spoof, musical spoof thing, um, they've all kind of merged into one kind of single entity in my mind of – just paranoid mm. conspiracy as a single thing. So I'm kind of I'm, I'm mentioning that as a kind oh, of there's, there's a bit in Edge of Darkness where the characters are sort of on the run in Scotland. That was mm. deliberate homage to Thirty Nine Steps as well. Yeah, I think that happens at the end of uh, SSGB as well, right. um, which is uh, uh, recently made into a TV series and, and 
perfectly presentable it was too, in my opinion. Which is another Len Dayton, I think. Yes. Um, there you go. There we are. We're getting all the connections in. So we, we've got about uh, 15 minutes of the show left. So any other honourable mentions? I mean, Joseph, you have come in um, and is there anything that you we haven't touched on that we've been stupidly missing? Oh goodness! Oh, um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. There's probably qu- quite a lot. Um, you, you can have mm. a think about that because yeah. I know Tim has has got some some honourable mentions he'd like to talk about. Yeah, I'd like to chip in with the tw- um, the best TV series of 2015, which was Deutschland '83. I don't oh. know if anyone watched this. I know I'm cheap wanting to say I don't know where I can get hold of it. Um, well, it was on. Is it on Morphle? Is Morphle. it on Morphle now? Yeah, and they're right, just about it. to bring out. Um, well, they've just been doing the new series, Deutschland '86, and I think they're going to be a third series, Deutschland '89. Get the hint. Um, well, basically, it's like this is England. Yeah, yeah. It, well, it, it, it's I, what it, what I love about this is um, what they did very very effectively is make a very um, American style. Fast, zingy, 80s set Cold War thriller set in East Germany, written by Germans or filmed by a Ger- uh, full German crew, kind of with American money to really go for the American market. Is it in English? It's, no, it's in, it's in German. It is in German. I thought so, yeah. There are American characters in it. So mm. it's about that whole thing around infiltration, sending someone from East Germ- Germany into West Germany. But it kind of blurs all the lines. There's family intrigue. There's um, There are... Uh, Soviet characters, Soviet spies, and Ger- Americans who are good, and what it doesn't do is the, any any stereotypes around who's good and bad because there's good and bad on all sides, and there are cool characters, less cool characters, Soviet Soviet spies with dubious sexuality, dubious <laughs> uses of sexuality in dubious ways. It doesn't hide back on things that you wouldn't expect, you mm. know, to to uncover. But the thing that also makes it cool is the soundtrack. It's mm. one of the best uses of soundtrack I have seen in a TV series. I have definitely, um, I have definitely listened to the soundtrack because I remember it being brilliant. It's zingy. It's cool. It's um, it's 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 very gritty, and it feels very real and very frightening. Yeah, and um, totally fits into our category. Um, it was the best TV series of that year. So okay. Deutschland '83 would get a vote for me. Okay, uh, I can't comment. Have you seen it, Joe? Like no, two episodes. <laughs> I, I was meaning to go back to it. Um. <laughs> well, you know, you've got professional requirements to to, to cover all these things. Many of them. I would also um, a little honourable mention to this um, to my favourite one of my favourite TV series of this year, which was um, Mac Mafia, which I thought was really good. Um, mm. so it's got a lot of. Um, I got a lot of negativity as I recall, it, didn't it? This it got people didn't like it. I really liked it. Um, so it what's it, that about? Um, basically, it's about um, a, a son who is a he works in a big financial organization whose dad happens to be a Russian mafia or Russian dad who's trying to escape his mafia past, and um, he gets embroiled in um, the son gets embroiled in a in a plot line involving his dad and uh, and gets sucked into a whole worldwide Russian mafia financial operation type of underworld underground kind of thing and starts to do deals with people who are bad and he start and he goes in full and the end he goes in full throttle I'm not going to give the plot away but it's basically about James Norton's character as a British 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 son of a Russian dad who ends up getting embroiled in the Russian mafia and the, and the underworld um involving Russia Israel very topical things right mm. now um, prostitution and um, trafficking of human beings and 
all sorts of all the fun all, all the, the fun, fun relaxing <laughs> and great subjects. and amazing performances by um by james norton and david strathern who plays this really um not very likable but likable because it's david strathern who's good and everything kind of um it israeli um de- dealer type person um, but with a very, you know, a very, not very nice, but actually very wise, and becomes a, uh, you know, becomes a, a mentor for the James Norton's character. And it's really well done. It's very well shot. It's very expensive. Looks very cool. Was that BBC? BBC co-production, yeah. and it's called McMafia, and it's and it's actually based on a, a novel called A Journey Through the Global Criminal Underworld. Um, a novel or a, a non-fiction? No, a, a novel, a book. <laughs> sorry a book a, jo- okay. a, journal- a novel it, it's not a novel it's a book it's sorry. a book a non-fiction book right. yes yeah, sorry that's I'm okay getting carried away um yeah so um and it was shot in about a zillion places it looks it, uber cool it's very much if you're into spy but you're into the world of the russian mafia and you want to see another series that evokes all the things that we loved growing up this one does it in droves as well Okay. You know, it, we all would, uh, in a, in a sense we sometimes we watch these things because of that, don't we? We watch them because they they make you think of the things you love mm. and the things that you watch a lot of, and yeah. all, the, all the classic seventies and eighties spy thrillers and the, and the TV series. This one does that well, but it has a really relevant thing about Russian mafia, and of course, it led to all the the James Norton is going to be the next what's it and um, all that usual all that useful rubbish. So. Uh, yeah, and I also, um, sorry, I'm, whilst I'm on the case, I really am loving Little Drummer Girl because mm. it again evokes, it's the evocation thing again, evokes um, 70s. the 70s thing and, and it's done in the right way. I, it's done so slow some and it's very, some bonkers, very weird directions. Yeah. And, uh, and Michael, Michael Shannon is weird as hell. Yeah. I am Michael Shannon, I'm weird. <laughs> well, we love Michael Shannon, don't we? Yeah, he can, he can do no he wrong. He's uber weird, he can do no wrong. And, and um, a great moustache. And Florence Pugh is fabulous. Florence the Pugh, thing, I saw the other day, of Lady would Macbeth, make right? an amazing young Hillary Clinton. <laughs> so when her biopic gets made, she tweet that to Florence Pugh. Yeah, well, I, I think she, I, I've seen that she tweeted about it. And they yeah. do look uncannily similar. Um, so uh, we have got we're running up uh, against the last ten minutes of the show. So I do want to play one more track, uh, and then we will we'll round up with our thoughts. And if you have any last uh, questions for Dr. Joe Oldham, experts on all things paranoid and conspiratorial, then do tweet us at Screen Brum. And I'm going to play something from one of the classics. Surely the conspiracy, I can't believe anyone's not mentioned it so far, the Da Vinci Code, right? Um, this is Kyrie, Kyrie for the Magdalene. Is it Magdalene? Magdalene, I'm not totally sure. Magdalene I think. Um, um, let's play that and, and we'll be back shortly. I know I'm incredibly shallow. That's making me feel quite Christmassy. That Kyrie for the Magdalene from uh, The Da Vinci Code. And uh, Lucy says we're not allowed to talk any more about The Da Vinci Code. So we'll move on. Any other mentions in the paranoid conspiracy world? Anything anyone else would like to say? Any other films we haven't touched on which we should have mentioned? I could, but Lucy might want something to say. Here we go. Oh, no, sorry. It's, I do actually have one to talk mm. about. That's all. So um, Jacob's Ladder. By Adrian Lynn from 1990. And it's just a spectacular film, really. And it, it's, it wasn't very popular at the time, mainly because it portrayed the Vietnam War in a way that wasn't popular as seen at that point in American media, because it was very negative in its attitude towards it which wasn't the thing to do Mm. uh, apparently in that period of time. Um, So it's a Vietnam veteran who become 
becomes simply traumatised by what he has seen and experienced, as you would expect, um, and begins to find fellow veterans who he was alongside and finds out they're experiencing similar hallucinations and similar um, what could be seen as PTSD Mm -hmm. um, symptoms, but they believe it's something more than that and something else. Um, In one way, it's the most brilliant presentation of Dante's Hell from Divine Comedy that has ever been committed to film, and it's so beautiful if you see it as in that way. But it's this very in-depth conspiracy theory of um, the American government doing drug tests on military, um, and specifically troops who were going over to Vietnam. And that is a a quite commonly believed um, theory. And the the way it looks... um, Tim Robbins is just stunning in it, and I think it's the best thing he's ever done, really. And some of the hallucination sequences are some of the most horrifying things. I think that's mainly because it wasn't... The footage wasn't doctored. It was filmed in in real time and then simply sped up or um, it it wasn't messed with, so Mm. to speak. And that that gives it a real edge that you can fully be alongside a character. I remember seeing... I went to see it as as a... probably about 17 years old when it came out and, and you know as a callow youth I was very disappointed because I was not what I was expecting because it was it was marketed as I recall as a kind of horror thriller um, and then what we got was a much more slightly surreal uh, and twisty and unconventional film so I remember yeah I suspect I should need to re, re uh, revisit it it's quite scary, that film. Mm. I haven't seen it for about 10 years, but it makes me think of death in a very big way. I think it channels... Does it channel Carnival of Souls, I guess, in a, in a way? Maybe it feels a bit... Maybe it's a... Lots of sort of weird faces appearing I, out of windows. And I also, not quite yeah, sure if that's real I, and stuff. And also, you know, I want to pick up... This is this is um, Adrian Lyne, you know, director of Flashdance, Nine and a Half Weeks, Fatal Attraction, and Indecent Proposal. And before Indecent Proposal, he does this. It goes to show he can do really scary films. Um, speaking of really scary things, Tim, don't bang the desk like that. It makes a terrible uh, echoing sound. I'm into banging the desk today, and Sorry, I apologise to everyone in advance. I've just been told off by Blake. Uh, that was that, yeah, no, that was not a telling off. It was just a, you know, a piece of uh, functional information. They're still watching you, though. <laughs> are they? Are they? Because yeah, we're coming well, to the end are, so. So what's are the? They, are they out to get you? Are they out to get me, Tim? You've been you've been putting a poll on Twitter. Are they out to get me? Forty five percent say yes. Nine percent say maybe. Forty six percent say I couldn't say. Hmm. Does anyone say no? No one said no. You didn't. Did you put a no option? Yes. All oh, right. 
That's quite that's quite alarming. Okay, as, so as recent po- as polls of recent years might say, no should not be put on an option. <laughs> or yeah, depending on where you're standing. Yeah, let's uh, let's let's not get paranoid and conspiratorial about that. Um, so we are we are very near the end of the show. We've had I mean, there's so much in this area we haven't had a chance to mention. I wanted to talk about the parallax view, which I know loads and loads of people have talked about. Um, and we've had uh, I've mentioned Arlington Road, which uh, is also another one I really like. Seven days in May. Um, <laughs> And we have touched on on the prisoner and the Condor stuff. Is there anything else, guys? Before we sign off with a piece of music, is there anything else that anyone would like to? Any other films we'd like to take away for their homework? Um, I've just got um, Thomas T D Cavano has made us all laugh because he's uh, given a sight of uh, Laurence Olivier with uh, about to do some dentistry and decide is it safe. There's the, that, Although it just made us laugh, it had the appropriate oh, response. Yeah. That sequence has uh, that the very famous. Um, Interaction between Dustin Hoffman and uh, um, what's his name? And Larry. And Larry Olivier. As uh, you know, Dustin Hoffman was very into to method acting, so he was sitting there saying, "How am I going to get into this character? Method how am driven. I going to? How am I going to? How am I going to inhabit this character? Someone who's about to have their teeth drilled." And Lawrence Olivier just said, "Why not try?" acting darling uh, apparently um, so there you go it's just um, I'll re- I've retweeted it with ah as, a, as my thing um, it's just it's just the sigh of him with the eyes and the glasses and the, and the and it's the metalness of the of the uh, of the, th- the, the dental implement is it safe is it safe is it safe and yeah I can't can't get that sight the noise of the drill right let's let's move on I'm feeling scared um, I'm it, going to the dentist next week okay enjoy um, we, we have to we have to leave now we're running out of time can I say a really big thank Thank you to Tim um, for for all of your contributions and to Lucy. I know this isn't your normal area of interest, but thank you for joining us. No, thank you for teaching me. (laughs) I have a very long list of to watch now. Watch the skies. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) we hope you have too. And no one talked about the X Files. No, well, we have Oliver Stone. Yeah, well, we, we could we we could go on forever, but we haven't got the time. We haven't got no, the time. We haven't mentioned that. Homeland, but well, we haven't got time. So let's move on. Um, can I also say a big thank you to uh, Dr. Joe Oldham, who has uh, joined us and given us loads of fascinating insights. Thanks a lot, Joe. Thank you for having me. And the name of your book again for anyone who's interested in learning more: uh, Paranoid Visions, Spies, Conspiracies, and the Secret State in British Television Drama. There you go. Look it up. Um, everyone, we hope you're having a, a fantastic day. Um, we're going to be back for one more show this year. It's going to be Christmas. We're going to have our Christmas party special, and we're going to be having that on the 21st. Correct. Two weeks from now. Um, so, yeah, ho, ho, ho. all things Christmas. Send us your Christmas films. So, everyone, thank you very much. I'm going to play out with uh, the theme from the Upcrest file, because, you know, why not, right? See you, everyone, and have a fantastic week, and we'll see you soon. Bye.